Hey, so I'm hoping that you don't have plans for Sunday, November 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, because Aaron and I are hosting Functional Approaches to Evaluation and Treatments of Pediatric Feeding Disorders for 0.4 ASHA CEUs. We are inviting some of our favorite colleagues to come join us. We have an occupational therapist, a registered dietitian, and the guru behind the only truly transitional food on the market. And after three solid hours of delightful live Q&A, we're going to do an hour jam-packed full of functional case studies from the beginning to the end, how we could all work together interprofessionally and what additional uh, professions we would pull in to assist with the case. So please come join us. For more information, be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com. And I am so looking forward to taking your live Q&A on Sunday, November 8th. So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well... They want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode is an outgrowth of a complex set of feelings. So let me explain. We all love speech therapy, and we mostly all love to travel, right? Especially when there's not like a pandemic going on. And and y'all, we all love to put good in the world. 
So the natural intersection of these three amazing and ideas and passions is traveling SLPs. Ta-da! On the surface, is the easiest outgrowth of those three ideas. But y'all, it is way more complicated than that. And it turns out that in the process of attempting to do good, folks are either intentionally or accidentally causing harm in their adventures abroad when they're conducting, for lack of a better phrase, travel speech therapy. And that's why today's guest, Ms. Carrie Lim, MSCCC SLP, formerly Carrie Comer, past president of the D.C., Washington, D.C., Speech Hearing Association and clinical supervisor at George Washington University, is here to advise us. Y'all, this amazing SLP has created study abroad programs for her graduate school, and she's here to mentor us and how to do the thing and to do the thing right. And y'all, also, I just have to say, Carrie has mentored me personally in my new walk as clinic coordinator over at FMU, and I would I would not be where I am today had it not been for her saying, Michelle, breathe. You got this. And then like telling me basically how and what to do. So yay, Carrie, thank you. <laughs> oh, hi, thank you. Hi. Yes, I'm so I am so grateful for you and and your and your encouraging emails. So thank you. And dog shakes in agreement. Yes. So yes. <laughs> well, you are a rock star. Oh, thank you. Okay. So you used to be Carrie Comer, but an exciting thing happened this pandemic and you're no longer a Carrie Comer. So <laughs> any any new and exciting news, ma'am? <laughs> yep. So I got married two weeks into the shutdown. Um, the good news is, though, we got married in peak cherry blossom. The weather was perfect and we had the national mall to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> But getting married in pandemic, you know, slows things down. So formally changing my last name is a really long process, but eventually we will get there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, what, what did you say? You were, you're Carrie Limbo. Limbo. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's great. I mean, one day I'm going to have to reorder my diplomas with not my ex-husband's last name on it. You know, 11 years later, it's cool, casual. I'll get around to it. That's expensive. We want, those universities want a lot of money just to change my last name. And I'm like, I'm content to hang my son's artwork on the wall as opposed to my diplomas. So yeah. if anybody by my office, I have a whole lot of um, Star Wars Imperial walkers and skeletons. Um, instead of diplomas, but I promise I'm an adult. Okay. All right. So I digress. So we are covering traveling therapy, also known as like basically voluntourism. Mm -hmm. And, and I am, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because of my sweet friend, Mern, because she, um, feels she was, you know, She's like my go-to source for all things cultural competency, right? And so she was explaining to me about how individuals are going abroad, but when they mean to do good, they're taking pictures, but that can um, uh, exacerbate uh, uh, cultural negative cultural norms and like societal norms. And so her and I got to talking about this last year when we were, um, well, technically like a year and change ago when we were at ASHA. And then when you and I were talking on the last, <laughs> the last random phone call of me calling like, oh my God, what do I do? And we brought it up. You were explaining to me that this is a passion that's near and dear to you. So how in the world did global SLPs, how did you get into that? <laughs> um, it was just a lot of researching on my own and just saying yes to everything as doors started to open. You know, I was interested in this shortly after grad school, and I did do travel speech therapy within the U.S., um, but I really wanted to go abroad and see what was out there, like you said earlier, to combine my passion of speech pathology, but also my passion of travel and wanting to give back. And just over the years, I've really learned some helpful things, some things that, you know, may be hurtful, things that people haven't thought about, but in the long run may actually hurt the culture. Um, and there's a lot of great resources out there. There's certainly more now than ever. <laughs> certainly when I started about 10 years ago, um, there's more study abroad programs out there. Um, ASHA has some great resources. Social media and Facebook is great. Um, they have pages dedicated specific to international SLPs. A few that I follow, Global Community of SLPs, 
SLPs going abroad, SLPs overseas. Those are all pages on Facebook. Okay. Do they have an Instagram handle? Oh, probably. I'm not that savvy with Instagram, but I'm sure they do. (laughs) It was global SLPs abroad. So community, global community of SLPs is one that I follow SLPs going abroad and SLPs overseas. Okay. I'm I'm going to I'm gonna do the Google and then find them and track them down on Instagram. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. And they're they're great. They advertise um short and long term opportunities, but also it's great to network because you can track people by country, um, reach out to a country that you're interested in seeing what um, even if you want to move abroad and you're not interested in short term, then you can look and see what the protocol for practicing in that country is. Um, and like I said, Asha, the special interest group. SIG 17 is the global issues one. That listserv is a goldmine. Always things coming up um, within that listserv. I didn't know Asha had a SIG for that. Yep, they do. And like I said, it's been a goldmine. That's actually how I found several of the volunteer opportunities that I worked with. Um, One was in Guyana in South America. um, And the other was in Africa. People posted on the SIG 17 listserv. And I just followed up. Um, also, I did a trip in Mexico, and this Asha listserv was how I found out about that as well. That's amazing. Yep. Okay. And that, oh, and I was going to say that SIG does actually have a book club with SLPs from all over the world, so I can send that information if you're if anyone is interested in joining. Um, it's a great dialogue. It meets once every three months, um, and we read a book and we talk about globalization um, related to our field and you know how to do things more. More of the right way than the wrong way. That's okay. So, what what are some of the books that you guys have read? Um, so, the first one we read was "It's Not All About Me," um, which was written by somebody who started a nonprofit in Cambodia, and she had a lot of great points in there. Um, the others I'd have to look up. Um, one was "I Think We Don't Need Any More Heroes" or something similar like that. Um, and that's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I like that idea. I didn't. I um, Sig thirteen, to my knowledge, does not have a book club because uh, it's the dysphagia one, and I pretty mm-hmm. much stick to my like tiny little swallow sig. <laughs> That's not very <laughs> tiny, but like, tis the the one little weird thing that I do. But um, and I, I'm really secretly hoping that one day they like divide Sig thirteen in half and make it like adult swallow versus yeah. pediatric swallow because. Mm-hmm. They're so very different, but yeah. I mean, a, a girl, a girl can dream, right? So, um, and that, add that to my to-do list for advocacy. Um, okay, all right. So, let let's before we divert too far down, um, you know, uh, book clubs. Uh, how how can someone just starting out? And I would, I'm kind of interested from like, if you have tips for like a CF that's looking at getting involved in an international club versus someone with their C's, mm-hmm. how they could get in, involved in an international program. Um, so universities more and more are having study abroad programs that are open to people outside of their university. So for a graduate student or a CF, I would highly recommend that. One program in particular is Portland State out in Oregon. They do have an education abroad program, and they go to Ecuador, and that's open to anyone. Um, there's a few other organizations, or sorry, programs as well that, again, are open to professionals, students, or CFs. So I think that's a great place to start, um, especially if you're a student. Chances are you'll be able to use that credit towards an elective or other course in your graduate program. Uh, Once you have your C's, I think the opportunities are slightly different. Of course, you're going to have more opportunities and you'll have the opportunity to supervise and mentor. So I think a lot of times CFs and students are looking for a chance to go and learn, observe, maybe do some hands-on stuff, which I think is a really important topic we should come back to. But Mm -hmm. as a a SLP with your C's, you're, you know, obviously have more experience. Uh, you may feel like you have more to give. And so your role may actually change and you become more of a supervisor or mentor. Okay. So I, forgive me, I have not thought about traveling abroad. I mean, it crossed my mind for like the international smile train, right? Mm -hmm. But goose and bear kind of, I end up staying closer to home Mm -hmm. because it is, 
when I think of these travel abroad programs, I view them as, you know, two weeks or three weeks away from my family. But Mm -hmm. how long do they, how long are they typically in length? So they really vary. The programs I've done have any have been anywhere from a week to two weeks. There are certainly programs out there. So Speech Therapy Cambodia, for example, um, that may have professionals on ground. And so they're looking some, for somebody who can go two, three, four months at a time or more, maybe even a year. So it just really varies on the goal of the program and what their work is. But there are also opportunities to work remotely with programs abroad. So I have taught and supervised and mentored all online. What? Mm-hmm. I could do that. That's <laughs> cool. Okay, so tell me about that. Um, so I found all of these opportunities just, you know, kind of researching, seeing where doors opened. And, you know, I just I love to walk through every door that opens and see what, what comes <laughs> from it. <laughs> Um, And so like right now I'm currently mentoring um, an SLP in Ghana and I actually came across her. I went to a conference in Ireland and met somebody who works in New Zealand (laughs) (laughs) and she was, had started a program in Ghana. Her and her family had lived there for over 10 years. And so when she left, you know, this program continued and then the SLP came on board in Ghana. And so her and I, you know, touch base several times a year just seeing how things are going and I send her anything and everything I can get my hands on and just reaching out and saying, Oh, have you heard this? Um, It's a great way to stay connected, which is really, really important. You know, a lot of people look at international work as just one and done, you know, I'll go here for two weeks. I'll take my pictures, like you said, um, and then I'll go back home and I will be a changed person. But you really, yeah. you really need to ask yourself, you know, once you leave, how is the country going to be better? Um, how are the families going to be better? And that really is the ultimate question you need to ask when you are looking into opportunities to go abroad. Because there are a lot for volunteerism, for sure. But I view volunteerism as having the biggest impact on yourself versus the country that you may be visiting. Ah, oh, that is beautiful. So I can't help but where, I mean, I am who I am, right? And faith is integral to me. And so I view this as like a tithe of your time and your talents, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm broke. I'm raising two kids. Like, I mean, Christian and I spent all of our funny money on our tiny humans. I did make a really adult choice and go to the shoe store the other day. And I go like once a year and I bought four pairs of shoes for myself. And one of them was a leopard pair print of Tom's. And I was like, huzzah, I did something good. I bought cute shoes on clearance and they gave a cute pair of shoes to somebody, right? (laughs) But I mean, that's so when you're looking at a budget and you're looking at traveling, this on the surface seems so beautiful to me to be able to say, Hey, I will go in and I will learn from another culture, but I would also give of myself to that culture. But I, and there, then, then fear, I hate fear, but then fear shows up and I'm like, okay, so is it safe where that individual is looking at going for them to go there? And I mean, I know everything is I'm anticipating things have slowed down with respect to, as you said earlier, being on the ground because of COVID. Yes. But having the ability to go and volunteer even from home when maybe we physically can't go, I do, I, I do love that idea. Um, okay. So talk to me. What, is, what does it mean to be on the ground? Mm-hmm. So um, – you know, there's all different types of projects and programs out there with study abroad. You know, you're usually there for just a week or two and it's more observational. So maybe you're meeting with local professionals, maybe ministries of health and education and hearing what services are like in that country. Also learning about what education is like, you know, because a lot of countries more than you would think have their version of speech therapy but maybe it's just a bachelor, bachelor's level or maybe even associate's degree. Um, other programs go in and they provide services, which I do think is great in the short term, but this is where you get into. So once you leave, how are those families still going to access yep. services? 
Um, also, a lot of times when people go over to provide services, they bring their own materials. They just think, you know, I'm going to XYZ country. They probably don't have anything. I should bring everything with me, which is a nice way of thinking. But again, once you're gone, the families can't replicate those resources. Sometimes you get into jealousy or, you know, favoritism if one family is given something and the other one isn't. So it actually creates a lot of issues more so than being helpful. That's the natural environment. That's what we struggle with in the world of early intervention. Yeah. Literally, you just summed it up. Jealousy, all of the, Yes, because if I bring a bag of tricks into the home, then I'm telling the family, you're only as good as the toys that are in your bag. Mm-hmm. And then when I leave and I take my shiny bag of toys with me, it's an unspoken way of saying, well, now you can't actually do therapy because you don't have these mm-hmm. fun, flashy, battery-driven things. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. So false. You need to take what they already have there because that's what they can easily replicate and show them how to use it. I mean, you and I can do therapy with, you know, anything and everything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's what you need to be able to do when you go abroad. Um, But another type of program, which one I do prefer, is one that is geared towards educating the local professionals. So whether that is somebody who is their equivalent of a speech therapist, Um, A lot of countries have PTs or physiotherapists, um, so you might be working with them. But you want Mm -hmm. to work with a program that is empowering the locals and the families. Because, again, once you're gone, like right now during the pandemic, those services, there's there's a major gap in those services. And so you don't want to uh, work with countries and provide things that, you know, ultimately you can't um, can't make sustainable. But also Mm -hmm. you want countries to know that, you know, just like you said earlier with EI, they're not just as good as your bag of tricks. They are smart. They are capable and they can rely on themselves. They don't have to rely on outside help. Yes. They just, you, they need the tools. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So one thing that I worry about, and I am keenly aware of this being a white female working in the South. Mm -hmm. And when we moved here, I, I grew up in a small town in Virginia, right? But Mm -hmm. the locations that I pursued undergrad and graduate school had a lot of military. There was a lot of diversity, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we, when Christian and I moved to South Carolina, I was like, where have you taken me? It's back in time and not in a good way. (laughs) I mean, I do appreciate the, the, you know, open vendor street market down the street from us, but like, you know, racism, (laughs) not so much. And so one of the, one of the worries that I have is I, I don't want someone thinking that because I am a white female going out that I think that my skill set is superior in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And I am I am there to – when I go into someone's home in their natural environment, I am there to share my nerdy professional knowledge, mm-hmm. but I can – But even in that sharing of my knowledge, I have to be open to learn about that home, that culture, and how I can marry my knowledge with their family and cultural priorities, right? Yes. So how does that play out when we are abroad? Very similar. You said it very well, Michelle. Um, Good, because I was nervous. (laughs) Well said. Um, It's really the same. When you go abroad, you cannot go over there thinking you know everything because you were trained in a specific country. Um, You go over there with an open mind and you are there to learn. And just like you do with your colleagues here in the U.S., you're there to share, share information, share resources, ask questions. Again, you're not going over there with, well, I do it right. I know everything and this is how it should be done. You also need to have that open mindset. Like you said, you know, learning about the culture and learning what they have. You're going to learn so much and you're going to be so humbled when you start traveling, you know, professionally or personally. Um, It's just mind blowing and so eye opening what you see, you know, what you read in the news about a specific country is never really how it is once you're there in person. Hmm. 
And so just learning more about the culture and, you know, why they might have certain beliefs about a specific disability or why their educational level might be what it is. You know, it's all based on their resources and their culture and how they've adapted to what they have. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. Not at all. You know, it, it just means that it's a different way of doing things. And, you know, like I said, you're going to learn so much. Your your own skill set will truly grow. <laughs> well, they give you tips on what to wear. And I know that's, that's not vain at all, but that's me just saying I, I would be concerned that, I mean, I love yoga pants and a t-shirt in my day off, right? Or mm-hmm. like when I'm not on campus and in scrubs, but I can understand how in some cultures a female running around in yoga pants would be inappropriate. So do they give you tips in advance and like education on what to wear and what not to wear? Yeah. Or what to say? I'm thinking hand gestures too. My goodness. You can can give the okay symbol and like give somebody the bird. Yeah. Yes. Um, Of course, any program that you're working with, that should be in there, but you certainly should do your own homework. Um, I, when we do study abroad with our students, I always tell them to be more conservative. Even if where you're going is 105 degrees and 100% humidity, cover up, cover up your knees, cover up your elbows. You can't go wrong if you're more conservative versus less. Um, The cultural faux pas, for sure. All you can really do is research. If you get in country and you do find that you have embarrassed yourself, we have all been there. (laughs) And it really is just a teachable moment for you to step back and say, oh, you know, this is something that I didn't even think about. Um, you know, next time I know, <laughs> it's really hard for people like us who talk with their hands, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I told one of my students literally yesterday, I was like, you know, I really want you to learn from my mistakes. And they said something, you know, about, you know, I'm sure you haven't made great ones. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. For the first eight years, I taught... I taught the sign for ball incorrectly. So for the first eight years of my professional career, I taught every little kid I worked with the sign for vagina instead of ball. <laughs> so like, I mean, as far as failures go, that's 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 up there. Hand <laughs> so, gestures, even in your own country, it's good mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. thank you, Jill, for teaching me the correct sign for yeah. ball. <laughs> Yep. Or, you know, things like languages, a lot of words sound the same as you're trying to learn a few phrases in another language. Um, And, you know, depending on, you know, the the people in country and their exposure to people from outside the country, they may be understanding or they may not be. (laughs) Um, But even... Even things like, you know, food and drink. Some countries look down on having food and drink or eating, you know, in public outside of, say, a dining table. And I was in Taiwan in August for a conference, um, the International Association of Logopedics and Phoniatrics, IALP. And, you know, it was 105 degrees, maybe hotter. And, yeah, there's signs that say no water on the subway. But I thought, surely, you know, it's 105 degrees. Like, this is for my health. (laughs) And before I know it, there was a policeman right beside me. And he said, no drinking on the subway. And, you know, I put up my water bottle, but he followed me out of the station. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. Why? Yeah, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if he didn't have anything else to do or if he was worried that I would break the rule. Um, but yeah, you really need to know what the rules are and try to follow them to the best of your ability. Of course, you're gonna learn things <laughs> in moment than before. <laughs> you're like the most rule abiding, well mannered <laughs> professional individual, and you broke the rule for water bottles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm not sure i'd be safe to go abroad <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best rule follower oh my <laughs> one of my okay. favorites is in a lot of asian cultures it's rude to point um so you know they tend to point with their whole hands but my all-time favorite is in a lot of asian cultures the gesture for come here is actually the same gesture we have for go away so it's like the whole hand palm down kind of like we would do like, shh, go away. That's what uh-huh. they do for come here. So it's very confusing at first. I, yes, I would not get that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's cultural competency 101. I, um, yeah, this is most excellent. Okay. So I, I have so many questions <laughs> that I'm not exactly sure. Okay. So when we go to pick a program, mm-hmm. 
All right, let me backtrack. A couple of years ago, I had a um, an SLP asked to come shadow me, which was very humbling because she was my senior. She's highly skilled, and she wanted to come spend a day with me to learn more about pediatric feeding disorders. And um, I think I think the lovely lady and I ended up spending two or three days together, and uh, she gave me a a silver spoon afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the silver spoon was from Vietnam. And what they did with all of the landmines that they are still uncovering in Vietnam, uh, they melt it down and they turn them into these silver spoons, especially in like this one town, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, she was going back to Vietnam to do global speech therapy there. And she was telling me how like they train the physicians and they train the nurses Mm -hmm. um, and what speech therapists they can find and how to assess and treat um, pediatric feeding disorders, which I thought, and and speech therapy in general, but especially like craniofacial abnormalities. And um, it's very humbling. And I have my silver spoon sitting um, in in the corner of my living room, right? Because Mm -hmm. it just, it takes without getting teary-eyed, it takes a whole new meaning yeah. on being fed with a silver spoon, right? Yeah. And because they were talking, she was telling me like the horrors of like how many children today still have missing limbs because yeah. of all of these things they're uncovering. and But turning evil to good. Mm-hmm. And so um, how does one go about making sure that the program that they're volunteering with is ethical? Mm-hmm. And not um, out there to make a profit because I am, and I could be super naive in this, but I assume that when you go, you're paying to go. That a lot of these mm-hmm. aren't them paying you. Is that naive? Mm-hmm. Is that wrong? Like help? Yeah. No. Excellent question. Um, so I think there's kind of two parts. So for finding a program that is sustainable, or sorry, ethical, you want to look at sustainability. So you want to work with a program that gives back to the country. It's not just about what you're going to get out of it and all the warm and fuzzies, but ask yourself two questions. What is the benefit for the host country and how will my work there affect the client's lives beyond these sessions or beyond my work there? If you can answer that question or those questions, then chances are you found a sustainable program. You really want a program that focuses on educating local professionals, educating family members. So again, they can eventually do this work themselves. You don't want a program that is teaching others to rely on them. Like, oh, we do it better, kind of that mentality. And you are exactly right. A lot of times, you know, people are always asking about funding. You are paying to go because you're most of the time you're working in developing countries that have very little money and very little resources in general. So most of the time you are paying to go. And there are certainly programs out there that have a high cost. If you feel like your cost for going is above and beyond the flight and the meals and your housing, chances are someone is pocketing that money. Um, you know, within the U.S. or a different country. So always look at the cost as well. If it is high, chances are it's not sustainable and they're really working towards voluntourism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have seen some, you know, four or $5,000 and it doesn't cost that much to be in country in countries like Cambodia or Zambia. So you got to ask yourself, where's the rest of this money going? I've, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I had, yeah. As a fully seed licensed individual, and I've got a weird skill set that I feel that I bring to the table and I can contribute, would you recommend that we reach out to um, and going abroad and to make a difference so that, you know, say hypothetically, I get up my fears over COVID and like long distance flights and being away from Pack Dawson because, you know, that's like those places are farther away. It's not like going across the continental United States. Right. And I were to go and make a difference. How can individual, is it better to work on training the facilities? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming that this is like big emphasis on coaching versus direct therapy is what Mm -hmm. I'm getting at. Yep. You have anything to empower the locals, you know, just like when you're going to a continuing education course, 
Um, you're there to share information, give information, and of course, learn information. And I think it's the same thing when you're going abroad. How can you um, provide knowledge to the people that you're interacting with for sure. That's the best way that you can empower locals um, and make something sustainable. Because once they have that knowledge, you know, they're gonna have it after they're gone. And so it's gonna look differently for every program. Um, you know, just like in the US, you can't walk into a hospital or private practice and just start working or even start observing yeah. with somebody. Um, but you know, maybe shadowing people for a few days, asking what questions they have, what are things that they wish they knew more about, and then you know, sharing information as they ask for it. Um, or as things come up, if you have a chance to model um, a technique, that's always great too. You may not always have a family member there to model something on, but certainly if you can show them uh, directly, that would be great as well. But anything that you can do to get them to, um, you know, learn and be hands-on themselves is great. Do you have to have a license in the country that you're going to? So you definitely want to research that. So ASHA does have a page. It's asha.org backslash members backslash international. They have every country that has some sort of regulating body for speech pathology and audiology in all countries. It's listed alphabetically. You do want to check there because um, more countries than you realize do have some sort of regulating body. Now, if they have the regulating body, it may not mean that um, you know, the regulations say that you cannot work in country if you're not licensed there. You know, every country is going to be different, but definitely do your homework and see what is required, especially if you're doing telepractice or if you're working remotely, you do want to know what is expected within that country, just like you would here in the U.S. across state borders. And just be respectful of that. You know, like I said earlier, you can't just walk into any hospital or private practice and start doing things hands-on or observing. And so you do want to be respectful of what's expected within that country, even if there's not, say, a license that you need. Okay. Yeah, because I was just thinking who, that would add on additional cost if you had to have, like, licensure oh, yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this would be – this wouldn't be one of those, hey, I saw a killer flight deal and let's <laughs> no. hop in a plane and go. This is – slightly more than that. Okay. So I speak English and bad English. What about interpreters? Does the, do they typically provide you in an interpreter? Because I worry about that. Mm -hmm. So the programs that I've worked with, there always was an interpreter with us. However, the majority of people spoke English. A lot of countries, the educational language is in English. So books are in English, classes are taught in English, especially at the high school level or college level. So if you're working with the local professionals, a lot of them do speak English. I can't say that for every professional in every country, but you'd actually be surprised about the level of English that you'll find abroad. Um, if you are working with families, you know, maybe sometimes the educational level is lower and they might not have the English skill set. Um, but, you know, working with the locals there, they can certainly interpret. Um, if you're going to a Spanish-speaking country, chances are there's always several people in the program who speak Spanish. But, you know, we, we have done study abroad the last three years in Mexico. And with study abroad, we, it's mainly observations. We're going into uh, healthcare and educational facilities, and we're observing the services that they have. And every single time, people are like, I need to apologize for my English. I'll try to give you this talk in English. Okay, their English is perfect. And my Spanish is terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, you'll be very surprised with the level of English and how you can just get around, um, you know, even outside of a work day or, or working with other professionals, just getting around. People are so friendly and they're so helpful. And even though you got to be careful of what gestures you use, it does get you pretty far <laughs> if you do get lost. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, the, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, all right. So um, what are, what are some of your, uh, okay. So I, I want to talk about resources for funding, but like what other resources are there for just to learn more about how to do this? Um, so my top three favorites are ASHA, the 617, um, join the listserv. I think even if you're not a member, you can still access the perspectives, um, the journal with each SIG, so I highly recommend that. The Facebook groups I mentioned earlier, great way to get involved. And then you can directly message people as they post things and you're like, oh, this person is in Iceland. Let me just reach out and see what services are there. This person is working in Cambodia. Let me see what, what I can do there. 
Um, and then attending conferences, a lot of them are virtual right now, the international ones, uh, the South African one is coming up, it's going to be virtual, the speech pathology Wait. Australia. Oh, sorry. Yeah, tell me, tell me the names of these conferences, because I don't know these conferences. Um, so a lot of countries are really growing um, their conferences, and they're always looking for speakers. Um, so depending on where you work, you some people may have a CE money if they present at a conference. Um, some associations may give people who present, um, say, a discount in registration. Not all, but some. Um, but the South African one is a really big one I've seen marketed a lot lately. And I think that is in November, and that will be online, obviously, South African time. But um, that would be a great way to hear from presenters who are from all over the world, hear what projects they have going on, hear what's going on in their own research. Speech Pathology Australia, um, I think they are most likely going to have that online um, in May. That's another great one because then you have people from um, a lot of Asian countries, New Zealand, Australia, they usually attend those. Okay, um, so I found it. So it's the South African Speech Language Hearing Association. Mm-hmm. And okay. actually partnering with them this year to make it virtual. What? That's yeah. amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it, this personal- is a oh, – go ahead. Sorry. I have a very naive question. Yeah. Is their association – is their licensure commiserate with Ash's licensure? And forgive me for asking that I don't – I don't know if that sounds okay, but I mean, is that, mm-hmm. is it similar that to ashes? Um, so I don't know that much about South Africa. We have the mutual agreement and they are not a part of that. So the mutual agreement, you know, with Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, um, and I believe the UK. So yes, there are I don't know anything about a mutual <laughs> agreement. What is that? <laughs> so it's the MRA. Um, which is the Mutual Recognition Agreement. And there are six countries that are part of this, which basically say, you know, our education and our licensure is so similar that if me as an American citizen wants to move to the UK and start working technically, they would um, they would take my transcripts and everything. And technically, I wouldn't have to do anything different. You know, it, it's all different. And, and working in those countries for pay is always challenging because you have to get visas. But those six countries are Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Ireland, the UK, and the United States. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, and I'm, I'm now pulling up the Australia speech language, speech language pathology of Australia. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. Um, I had no, th- it sounds like the interstate compact license, but mm-hmm. I mean, my gosh, trying to convince yeah. the city continental or the 50 yeah. states of America to join a. Okay. So you're telling me we have countries that have agreed to recognize our licenses commiserate, yet we yeah. have states that can't seem to do that. Yeah. Do you see the problem with that? Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. People, volunteer with your state association. Let's make this no longer a problem. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't even remember what the original question was, Carrie. <laughs> Well, so I was going through conferences, and I can tell you yes, my all-time yes. favorite, my personal favorite one is the IALP, the International Association of Logopedics and Phoniatrics. Um, they meet every three years, and it's just fascinating. Six years ago, it was in Ireland. No, sorry. Three years ago, it was in Ireland. In August, it was in Taiwan. In three years, it will be in uh, Tel Aviv. So, so many cool places, so many cool people that go, and it's really opened a lot of doors. Um for me personally, and really opened my eyes to what's out there. So I highly recommend getting involved in international conferences if you can. Oh, this is so cool. I just found they have a killer website. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm texting this to a girlfriend. Um, yep. 32nd World Congress of the IALP. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. That's how many people – was it just like a gobstop amount of people? Is it as overwhelming as ASHA? No, um, but it really depends on the country. So in Ireland, you know, there was certainly a large amount of people. In Taiwan, they found that um, when they have it in um, that part of the world, fewer people can get there. Because <laughs> um, I think a lot of attendees are coming from the U.S. and from Europe. So, you know, it depends on where they're based out of. But it's just an amazing conference. And that one, um, I believe I did get ASHA CEs for I'm sure the other ones, you know, are, you can get the equivalent of ASHA CEs. So, you know, two birds, one stone, network, it will yeah. prove. 
networking travel and then um, see East. Yeah. That, that sounds like a fabulous win for me. Mm-hmm. Just putting the thought out there. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So how, okay. So how do we get funding to go? Like, is that appropriate? Is that like, is that a respectable question to ask? Yep. Yep. And it's a very common one. And I do think it is a barrier um, for people who are interested in going somewhere abroad, as well as countries who want to host people. Um, so there is very little funding because, you know, chances are you're going to be going to a developing country that just doesn't have a lot of funding and resources. However, um, if you are flexible and creative, you may be able to find your own funding. Um, you might be able to say use CE money, um, depending on your employer, you know, cause there's a lot of free CEs out there. So if you can get free CEs and then maybe convince your employer (laughs) to pay for, um, you know, a portion of the trip, that's a possibility. Some programs do um, have a salary, but it would be more of a long-term position, like maybe four months or six months or 12 months. And again, keep in mind, the salary is going to be what's commiserate within country. So it will be less, but the cost of living will be less. Um, Mm -hmm. there are a few grants. Um, I've worked with mates, which is multi-agency international training in a ITS. Okay. Hang on that, that, um, M A I T S. And the website is mates.org.uk. Um, pre pandemic, I know that they had travel grants. Now it varies year by year because it is a nonprofit, but, um, they have grants. You can write your own and request, you know, any amount of money, They also have listed both volunteer and paid positions online, um, short-term and long-term. So there are some grants out there. Um, Obviously, people have different levels of experience with writing grants. So it's just going to be what you're able to find and how creative you can be. This is beautiful. It's Mates Global Disability Training. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, this makes my heart happy. Mm. (laughs) All right, I'm 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 I've been rapid fire texting all of this to the lovely Annalisa. She does the um, marketing PR stuff, so that way she can. I got she she knows she's like the perfect hype woman, right? Like she knows how to like take the picture and make it fancy. I mean, I take a picture and I'm like one step above my mom, and I paste everybody's heads in it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's be honest, Bear does better selfies than his mother. <laughs> Oh, although he is really rocking his Halloween outfits this season. So oh, like, oh my yeah. goodness, I forgot Halloween is going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, oh. in this time warp. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, he's, um, he's really into skeletons and, oh. um, labeling bones at five. <laughs> That's awesome. I know, right? Casually looking and reviewing CT scans at the butt crack of when he wakes up. Um, <laughs> but like he's picked out for Halloween. Um, this is um, amazing. He is going as a skeleton that for a dragon and like complete, like it's just really cool. And I am going as Princess Fiona from Shrek. <laughs> so like, you know, we couldn't find the big red dragon. So skeleton dragon it is. <laughs> I don't know how we went that far down that rabbit hole, but there we are. Okay. So um, if we say you get your funding together and you go over, what are your what are your top best tips for like the first timer going abroad? Um, yes, I, I have several. Um, the first one is be flexible and open-minded. Again, don't go over there thinking with thinking like, you know, you were trained in a specific area, you know, the right way to do it. You're going to learn so much in country about that culture, the resources they have, how they adapt using those resources. And you're going to be very humbled by what you see. You know, when I was in Nepal, we did a study abroad program there. Beautiful, beautiful country and such resilient people there. We were there a year after the earthquake. And you see people walking hours one way to get to work. Um, Same as in Zambia. It's just very humbling, the obstacles that people overcome um, in other countries. So go over there with an open mind. You are there to learn as well. Um, research the culture and be flexible with yourself. There's certainly going to be things that you might see that feel so foreign to you or even make you feel uncomfortable. 
of course, you always want to be safe. Make sure that your surroundings are safe. You know, stick together. Never go out alone. Be careful at night. Of course, anywhere you go. But um, you're going to learn so much about the culture. And so, again, look at things with an open mind. Um, do your research ahead of time and be very patient with yourself. You're going to have faux pas. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. You're going to make a gesture that you didn't realize was bad. And it's just all uh, teachable moments. And, you know, if you do this again, you're going to be that much more advanced in going to another country. People react differently. And there's actually a lot of studies on culture shock. Um, so, you know, even if you have time, just kind of researching those different levels and maybe you know, each day looking at them and saying, okay, this is where I'm feeling today. Um, I'm kind of here on the I, spectrum and that's okay. I so, haven't, it's culture shock. Yes. I'd have to look it up for sure. Um, but there is a lot of research out there about how people adapt to other countries and there's a spectrum, right? So the first one is yeah. you're going over there and I need my McDonald's. I need my Starbucks. It's got to be as close to my home country as possible all the way to you have fully adapted to their clothing, their gestures, their slang. Um, so just kind of think about where you are on that spectrum to begin with. <laughs> this maybe- is this is so cool. Four different phases, honeymoon, frustration, adjustment, and acceptance. Yep. And it has like a beautiful little wave that goes up and down. Yes. That's, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, another one has seven. Okay. I love this. Yes. So um, stubbornness, depression are added. Minor difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is, this is, a, um, my husband was telling me about um, bidets and how in most countries it's frowned upon that we even use toilet paper because <laughs> yes. they don't use toilet paper yeah. and they use a bidet. Is that like, would you, do I really got to worry about getting shot in the <laughs> arm? Like that? I mean, like that's really crass, but kind of scary. And is that true? So toilets are different everywhere. Um, I can't say that I've ever been in a place where the bidet was the only option. Now I have certainly bring your own toilet paper. That is, that is thing, something right there. You bring your own hand sanitizer and you bring your own toilet paper. Of course, be respectful. Like, don't pull it out. <laughs> yes. Don't pull it out in front of other people. Um, you know, even the hand sanitizer, be respectful, but yes, bring your own toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going to go into a lot of places that maybe the cleanliness factor is going to be different. Um, and so there might not be toilet paper, uh, another, a lot of countries have squatty potties. So, you know, oh, what? yeah, so you gotta get really good with balance and stretching. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. This is, see, this is the meat and potatoes part that I really, really needed to know. Okay. Well, good thing I've been, I mean, pandemic, I have mm-hmm. been working on my squats and one of my <laughs> Mom's honest to God. Yep. She goes, Girl, you've been getting thick. And I was like, oh, thank you for pointing out my pandemic pounds. And then honest to goodness, the uh the uh the this patient's LPN that works with the patient, she started laughing. She goes, No, Michelle, that does not mean what you think that it means. It means you look good. I was like, Yay, squat. <laughs> Squatty potty. Okay. Yeah. Squatty potty, pack your own toilet paper. All right, cool. Yep. I prefer wipes because then you can wipe your hands as well. And, and it's just a nice clean feeling. They're multi-use, <laughs> but you know, if not Kleenex or toilet paper, always have that as well. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. Continue on your very functional list. I love it. <laughs> um, I think those are the biggest, you know, just be open, be patient with yourself as far as things in country. Oh, another thing that comes up is, you know, diet. A lot of people might have um, you know, a physical reason for being on a, a specific diet. And that's certainly understandable. Um, otherwise, just be open to the food there, you know, eating the food as much as possible within reason, you want to be safe. Um, I don't think that you have to go too overboard with, you know, I'm only going to eat in this one area. The The locals will be able to tell you that and your host and your program guide will certainly be able to guide you in where to eat that's safe and healthy, but as much as possible, see what the locals are eating, try their food, But that being said, be aware of what is in a lot of food. So Korea, for instance, they cook a lot with meat, especially seafood. So if you have a seafood allergy, eating in country may be very challenging. A lot of other countries you haven't eaten until you have protein. So it's really hard for vegetarians. Um, A lot of countries (laughs) – sorry? I don't have have a gallbladder, so I can eat – 
um, I can't eat high fat foods and meats mm-hmm. make me sick. Mm-hmm. Like seafood, I'm okay with because it's lighter. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so and dairy. Oh, I love cheese. The feeling is not mutual. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, it doesn't exactly stop me from fried mozzarella sticks. Definitely have those like every Friday night, but eh, yeah. Yeah, but do your best to research the foods there and, you know, try as many restaurants as possible. I mean, the best meals I've ever had, you know, Cambodia, Nepal, great cuisines, very low cost for meals. Um, And just the quality is so good. I find that a lot of the quality of a lot of foods in other countries is really high because they rely on, you know, they farm a lot. There's a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. And so the quality is just superb. Mm. Another thing you want to think about is the climate. It's different everywhere. You know, countries have rainy seasons. We may not even know what that is. Uh, You might be getting wet. I highly recommend comfortable shoes that you plan on just throwing away because you're going to get muddy. You're going to get dusty. and so good pair of shoes is highly recommended because you're walking over cobblestone, you're walking up hills. You never know when you're going to be somewhere and say, oh, let's just go down this road or let's just climb this hill. Sure, why not? <laughs> and see, you know, see the beautiful view on top of this hill. And so you don't want your shoes to stop you. You want something that's respectful, but also really comfortable and easy to move around in. Something that you can sweat in. A lot of countries are really hot. Like the U.S. is hot. Yes, I'm from the South as well. The South is hot. Not like Korea. Not like Taiwan. (laughs) Not like, no. It is like going outside in a hot shower wearing a hot blanket. Like you can just feel (laughs) this blanket of humidity. And so you got to get comfortable with sweating. (laughs) How's deodorant abroad? <laughs> Something that you want to bring with you. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. That answers the question. Thank yeah. you. Toiletries are going to be different abroad. And if they have them, they might be a little more pricey because a lot of times they might be imported. So you do want to bring toiletries that um, you're most comfortable with, anything that you think that you might need. Contact lenses for sure, contact solution, uh, toothpaste, deodorant, face wash. This is super question. What about like lady products? Because – okay, good. I mean I I had a hysterectomy and I don't have that. And my boys found one, I mean, sealed, packaged underneath. Like I try to keep some around for like, you know, in case my sisters or friends come by. And the boys – I think Goose was like three and he found one. And he was like, look at the rocket. And he was like shooting them out because he found like the box of the unopened ones underneath the like underneath the bathroom sink and I was like I'm so gonna tell you this story when you're like on your like wedding night (laughs) okay so pack pack female lady products because you know that you may have a hard time finding toiletries um in country or again they might be expensive or you might just not be able to read the packaging might be in a different language and so you're not really sure what you're getting (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah those are very, very valid points. Okay. What? Okay. Last super technical question. What about cell service, like reliability of like cell phones for, I mean, I'm just thinking if you're going abroad and you want to make sure that like somebody, you know, I've seen all the scary travel movies. So, you know, cell service. Yep. Great question. Um, I personally look at travel as a way to disconnect. Obviously, you know, you're going to want to check in with your family, let them know you're okay, see what's going on. So I try to limit everything to just when I'm in the hotel and I have uh, consistent Wi-Fi. Um, Try not to bring things like iPads and computers if you're not doing work and you can leave them behind because it also makes you a target. Um, If you're going to countries that, you know, there's very little money there, there's a lot of poverty, and you're walking around with technology, you are a target. Um, And you may get robbed. Um, So just be careful of that. Um, Try not to have your cell phone out in public, you know, because you never know who's watching you. Um, but again, you, just, you won't need it. You need to get lost in the culture and, and pay attention to your surroundings. And I always use my phone for a camera for sure. But, you know, just be there with the culture, pay attention to your surroundings, observe what's going on, because you never know what you're going to see. And then, you know, what you want to learn more about, you're just going to miss so much if you're hiding behind technology. Nice. But that being said, there are SIM cards. I'm not that tech savvy, but you can always go in country and get their own SIM card. Um, I like WhatsApp 
Um, it's an app that you can use over Wi-Fi for texting. I do that a lot within other countries, but you should also know some countries won't recognize everything. Like some countries might ban Facebook, so you can't access that or use Facebook Messenger. Some countries might not have WhatsApp, but they have a similar app. So just know what's allowed in country as well. Nice. You, you've used this phrase in country. I'm not familiar. I have not heard that phrase. Is that what people, is that the term for when you travel abroad? When yeah. You're in country? You might okay. also uh, hear host country. So, you know, whatever country that you're going into to observe or do work or even just travel to, you'll hear the phrase in country and host country a lot. Okay. Okay. So I'm assuming that we're going to have questions. So I have to be respectful of our time. Okay. But is there anything that we have missed that you want to highlight? Um, oh, I feel like there's so much. Um, I, I know you I told me you were like, we could do this over like three. I was like, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, you want to like pack a backpack, throw the kids and like, let's go. Yes. I mean, face mask. <laughs> um, I guess I will add. So anyone who is still a student or a CF, you can do international um, externships or fellowships. They would just need to be supervised by an ASHA certified SLP if you plan on moving back to the U.S. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, of course, there may be barriers, pros and cons to, to going internationally for a short term um, and continuing a, your education. But that would be something. And I think just above all else, just to reinforce, you know, when you're looking at doing international work, just ask yourself, what is the benefit for the locals? What can I leave behind so that they can still access services and better themselves? you've given me so much to process i'm still stuck on squatty potty and bring hand wipes <laughs> that's always a big one for people i guess i don't even think about it anymore um but you'd also be surprised about how adaptable you are as a person but also how adaptable countries are like i remember specifically in taiwan you know <laughs> the call for nature. I could not find a squatty potty, but I looked, I mean, I'm sorry, I couldn't find like a, a toilet that we're used to, but I looked and looked and looked and I finally found one. So they're, they're out there. <laughs> Even in mm -hmm. countries that use squatty potties, they, they do have um, toilets that we're more used to, but you know, if you really got to go and timing is important, then, then you might have to just deal with what you got. <laughs> <laughs> Bear did that on an afternoon walk in the park down yeah. the street from there and I was go. like Bobby can't just pump it out he goes but I had to pee and home's like a mile away and I'm like oh <laughs> get a little too old for this one my little five-year-old <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh oh my stars okay well thank you Carrie I Woman, I so very much appreciate you on multiple levels, and I am grateful that you are connecting our world and making it better and brighter and smaller and reachable and obtainable and joyful and and kind. So um, I hope and pray that you're not in quote-unquote limbo too much longer on the way to live. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, thank you. Okay, so wait, real quick. If somebody has a question, how can they reach you? Um, they can reach me at Comer K. I still haven't changed my email yet. Comer K at GWU.edu. Or they can also email me at Carrie, K-A-R-I, at GlobalSpeechTherapy.com. I have um, several blogs on the website. I'm about to post one on globalization of speech pathology and so that is my email um, link to that website. Nice. Wait, wait, what is the website? Oh, globalspeechtherapy.com. Globalspeechtherapy.com. Most excellent. And y'all, she has a fabulous Instagram account too. So <laughs> I, 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 I like Instagram because people post fabulous pictures of gardens and food. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I get to see all my cousins and we're like, my family can procreate quite well. So there's a lot of cousins. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> beautiful family quality to have right there. Okay. Hold on one second and let me switch you over to questions. Okay. Okay. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? 
The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Feed your mind, feed your soul.